Puck Downey pounding away at him. Flurry kept it out. Second and third efforts being denied. 15 seconds to go. Downey at the line. Put up down low. You're listening to All the King's Men, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. My name is Jesse Cohen. This is All the King's Men. Uh, I hope you guys will enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. I was lucky enough to talk to Brooklyn Boyers from the LA Kings and huge Kings fan, David Kay. If you don't recognize either of their names, I promise you, and I promise you, you are familiar with their work. Uh, We're going to be moving to two episodes per week heading into rookie camp, which is basically two weeks away. Once camp opens, we'll be trying to get you as much coverage as we can, as fast as we can. The teams will be all over the place, split squad games, uh, inter-squad games, etc. So, never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast. Subscription links and recent episodes can be found at lakings.com slash podcast. Joining me now... Brooklyn Boyers from the LA Kings. You may recognize the name, but I promise you, if you've seen a Kings game in the last 10 years or so, you've seen her work. How are you doing today, Brooklyn? I'm doing well, thank you. And thank you for having me on. It is by fan request. Um, I've been wanting to talk to you for a, for a long time, but we've always managed to some sort of to sort of uh, mess up the scheduling of it. But before we get into Uh, your past and your uh, path to the current position. What is your current position with the Kings? So I'm currently the senior director of game and event presentation, production operations and entertainment for the Kings and AEG sports. Okay. And before we get into uh, what that entails and how everybody who goes to a game at Staples center should thank you for, for doing that job. (laughs) Let's uh, or not. (laughs) <laughs> well, <laughs> there's always somebody, right? But <laughs> let's focus on the path that led you to that position. Uh, did you grow up in Southern California? I did, yeah. I'm actually from South Orange County originally, Laguna Niguel. So born and raised in Southern California. Um, and I grew up a Kings fan, um, even though I was down in deep Ducks territory. I'm aging myself a little bit. But when <laughs> I started watching hockey, the Ducks didn't exist yet. So the Kings have been my team since I was little. Um, yeah, and then pretty much did my, you know, college and my master's program all in Southern California. I went to USC for college and then Chapman University for my master's degree. So, and then I've lived in LA for the last, you know, 20 years. So, SoCal through and through. (laughs) Now, I have to expose you, but, you know, we all go through this. I've got a Ducks jersey in my closet. Um, you've got a little (laughs) bit, you've got a little bit more than a Ducks jersey though, correct? I do. I've I've got a Duck Stanley Cup ring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually, you know, I would say that's how I kind of got started in sports, honestly, working in sports anyway. You know, I um my goals going through college and, and high school and, and into my master's program were all to work in academia. So, you know, my plan and path were to teach college level film courses, theory, history, all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I took a a pretty big detour, actually, somewhat, I guess, you know, still working in the production world and Mm -hmm. and live events and things like that. But um, yeah, that was the path. And basically, while I was working on my master's degree, um, I attended a a game down at the Honda Center, which at the time was still the pond. And um, it was the Ducks versus the the Red Wings. And I went to see the Red Wings because Luke Robitaille was playing for them at the time. And 
um, you know, I, I just, I wanted any opportunity to see him in Southern California. So while I was at that game, yeah. Right. Saw an advertisement for, uh, you know, their, their power player team, which is like their ice crew down there. And, you know, basically it's like, okay, well, you know, you get to get paid to watch hockey and that kind of thing. And I didn't know how to skate, but I figured I'd (laughs) figure it out before the competition. And, uh, yeah. And I ended up working for them for five seasons before, um, literally pretty much like helping them with their audition my fifth year. And then at the end of my fifth year, and then literally started with the LA Kings a week after that. So, but, uh, shoot, I had a feeling this might happen. Now there's a million questions I want to ask you that don't have anything about how you got <laughs> into your current role. Um, but, but so the role of the quote unquote ice crew, I mean, that that's something that didn't really exist when we were growing up, right? I mean, some teams might yeah. have the odd dancer in the stands, but not really. I mean, there weren't really um, in, in-game arena entertainment has, has really evolved. Um, when did you get the sense that, that there was a possibility to use that kind of role in an expanded, in a bigger sense? Was that with the Ducks? Um, a little bit. I would say my exposure to it was with the Ducks. And like you said, at the time, you know, it was sort of a, a newer thing, right? The New York Islanders had been doing something similar to that, but it was a little bit more, you know, it was figure skates and these kind of, you know, almost like figure skating style outfits. And the Anaheim Ducks prior to when I was there was, you know, a little bit more of a performance team. It kind of had a Disney vibe to it and that kind of thing. Um, so the the overall trajectory of it was sort of similar to a cheerleader, right? And I think in my time at the Ducks um, and transitioning over to the Kings, I think what I realized is, is that the potential of this and probably the future of this is not in that sort of, you know, cheerleader-y vibe. And so when I came to the Kings, you know, my goal was from the start to make it very different. I wanted it to be a co-ed team. I wanted it to be, um, you know, I've continuously said so long as I've been here that as long as I'm here with the Kings, you're never going to see pom-poms in the hands of our ice crew. You're never going to see choreographed dancing routines. It's just not going to happen. It's not who we are, right? The goal is for, you know, that bigger picture, which we were talking about. And um, for me, that's okay. How do you, how do you make an impact really in your community? And, Mm -hmm you know, our ice crew here is doing, you know, 400 appearances a year and raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for the King's Care Foundation. And that's where the real value is, you know, in addition to, of course, the the primary value, which is building those connections with our fans and our team and representing our organization in places where our players and our coaches can't just due to their, you know, schedule demand. So it's really just kind of bridging that gap between our fans and our team and that's the direction. It, it's sort of like I learned from what the other teams weren't doing. I, I kind of saw that gap and said, why aren't we, why isn't somebody doing this? All right, great. We're going to do it then. And we have, you know. The part that always impresses me is that it is such an effective, and, and I'm kicking myself for even using this terminology, but the team is such an effective quote unquote brand manager or brand ambassador um, for the Kings, mm-hmm. but also I mean, they're out there scraping the ice. They're they're serving a sort of functional purpose um, that the league now mandates, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like those are built into yeah. the the television broadcast, and there's it needs to be scraped so many times in a period, which is another thing that never happened um, when we yeah. were growing. Yeah, yeah, and and that's expanded over the years too, right? I mean, back in the days when I was doing it, even what was required to be cleaned up by the league was so much less, right? Mm-hmm. It was like the area in front of the players' benches and kind of around the the goal crease and that was it. And then it expanded over the years. And yeah, now it is, 
it literally is league mandated. It's not league mandated that you have a, you know, an ice crew per se, like, you know, the same type of vibe as what we have right. or many of the other teams have. But it is required that you have a, a team of, I think it's, they require a minimum of 10 bodies out there on the ice that do the pattern in a specific way that they dictate and clean, you know, in the pattern that they've assigned and obviously in the time limit that we're under with the media timeout. So they've got about a minute 30, minute 40 to get that completely cleared. And, and that is a requirement. So if it's one of those things where it doesn't get done right or properly, we could be fined, you know, in theory by the league. Yeah. So So, it is a legit role. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) No kidding. So, so how do you move from the ducks to the Kings? We know there's been, you know, a few dozen players that have, that have served with both uh, with both franchises. <laughs> how do you wind up on the Kings, and how excited were you to to make that transition? Yeah, I mean, well, for me, it was you know kind of the opportunity of a lifetime, right? Because I, like I said, I grew up a lifelong Kings fan. For me, you know, I was the running joke at the Ducks because you know whenever the Kings <laughs> would come to play, I'm obviously excited, and I get the reminder warning from my boss, like no cheering for the Kings, Brooklyn. You know, you're blah blah blah, and so. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, the opportunity came about in kind of an interesting way. I was, um, after the Ducks won the Cup in twenty or in 2007, um, that's the year, that fall, when the Kings and the Ducks had those premier games in London. Mm-hmm. So um, a couple friends and, and myself decided we were going to go out there and just kind of as fans see the game and sort of travel around and, and take that in. And while I was out there, um, our public address announcer at the time um, with the Kings was David Courtney. Mm-hmm who I actually knew from working with the angels for as many years as I have been. I, I actually started with the angels just shortly after um, the ducks. Um, so I knew him from there and he knew I was a huge Kings fan and, um, you know, knew a little bit about my role kind of outside of, of sports, which at the time was you know, event management and that sort of thing. And that was my full-time job. So when we were in London, you know, he made a point to say, Hey, while you're here, I want to introduce you to the Kings people and, you know, so they can get to know you and that kind of thing. And, and from there I, I did, I met some of those folks there in London and, you know, we just kind of hung out casually, like, you know, get to know each other a little bit. And then um, I want to say it was like six, seven months later, I got um, a call from sort of the person who was in the role I ended up taking over when I, when I started with the Kings, who was basically saying, you know, he was going to be leaving at some point and that he was part-time but they were going to be making the position full-time and is it something I'd be interested in and that they were also looking to potentially test the waters on bringing in an ice crew team whether it was all girls or a co-ed team or something like that and would I be willing to come in and kind of do a test of that and bring in some folks and and kind of coordinate the whole thing and test it at a couple of Kings games and I did and then um, they reached out to me again for a draft party that year. I think it was at the Microsoft Theater, if I remember correctly, um, just sort of to come in, throw me into the fire and stage manage the event without a lot of uh, background. And then next thing I know, about a month later, um, I was getting a call and basically a job offer. I didn't even really apply for it. They basically offered me the manager of game presentation and events role um, with a primary goal of getting an ice crew team in and start for the season. And and I came in, I think I came in to meet with an HR representative and then I literally started like a week and a half after that. So it was, it was, you know, for me, it was like, okay, the Kings are asked, you know, offering me a job. I didn't, I didn't have to go seek this out. And, um, you know, like I said, it was also a little bit of a detour at the time. It was like, okay, well, this wasn't really like what I thought I was going to be doing, but it's a good offer and, you know, I'll test it out, see how it goes and kind of go from there. And so that's why I joke now that, you know, 
10 years later, I'm, I'm still stuck in court. <laughs> so if, you're, if, you're, if your original love was movies, um, then I'm, su- yeah. I'm super curious to know, because the Kings have a very distinct visual look now uh, leading into mm-hmm. games and, and during play stoppage and everything. I'm curious if there's any movies that you would credit with like inspiring your visual palette or the, or, or what are the similarities you think between, you know, the visual language of, of movie making and, and staging a, an NHL hockey game? Sure. I mean, I would say, you know, it, I wouldn't say movies actually were my first love. I would say what my first love was and is, is, how the cinematic experience affects audiences. Okay. That's always been the core for me, right? And and it, what's interesting is, is now, you know, in my role here, I've been, a, you know, in a weird way, I kind of thought when I took this job that I was taking a detour. And what I've realized in, in hindsight now is that really a lot of those same principles apply to what I do day in and day out. And, and again, it's, okay, how does staging, framing, music, how does it all come together to affect the viewer in a certain way and how you can change certain components. You keep all things the same, let's say, um, but you change the music or you change an edit and it changes the entire tone or vibe of a scene. It could be something that, you know, literally could be the most intense horror scene you've ever seen in your life, but then you change the music and you change an edit and all of a sudden it becomes almost comical. Like if it's a farce or something. Mm. So that's, what's always intrigued me. Um, and so I feel like, you know, I can't really speak to any specific cinematic influences that influence me, but it's more of that, you know, some of the filmmakers that influence me are things like, you know, uh, Martin Scorsese, who's an auteur in the industry, or even like an Alfred Hitchcock, who basically their their styles were complete command of their space. And they were thinking about every single detail and what the effect was um, on a level that, you know, uh, you know, not not so many um, filmmakers do, and and that's why they stand out. So how that kind of informs how I approach King's Games and and how our group does and our department is, you know, we're thinking about it not in the traditional sports sense where it's like, okay, yeah, you know, put up a video, get people pumped up, throw in some some lights and some stuff to you know jazz it up a little, and then call it a day. We look at it as a completely three-dimensional immersive experience and how do we take all these various components between music and audio and special effects to drive a narrative tell the story we want to tell and that's the other I would say parallel to you know the cinematic world that I apply into sports entertainment which is this concept of a narrative you know you can't control the game action you don't know where that part of the narrative is going to take you but you can control sort of the story you want to tell of your brand the vibe you want to tell and then you know, adapt as the game goes on. This is a, I mean, this is a fascinating concept that I, now I want to spin it off into its own (laughs) year long podcast. Um, My mother, my 72 year old mother attended her very first hockey game this past season. And uh, she is a a professor of religious, there was a, a professor of religious studies. And one of the things that she focused on was sound and the religious experience and, and all everything you're saying translates to the sort of thing that fascinates her only with sound right just how you know chanting and praying and all that impacts the religious experience and she was enthralled by the pregame show i mean she just loved it <laughs> particularly the the cage of lights i don't know what you call that but the 
yeah, the Sharpie cage. I call yeah. it the Sharpie <laughs> where the lights all. And I, it's one of my favorite things too. You uh, won an award this summer. Um, what specifically was the award for, and how rewarding was it to be recognized by your peers? Yeah, sure. So we were actually so we attend an annual conference every every year, which is um, it's called the Idea Conference, and it's basically all of the um, you know, game entertainment and um, production people from all of the major leagues. So it's NFL, NBA, NHL, uh, Major League Baseball, soccer, even college sports and minor leagues. So, um, you know, the, the purpose of the conference is obviously to network and share ideas and, you know, best practices and troubleshoot, that kind of thing. Um, and each year as part of this show, there's an award show. Um, so you submit, you know, your pieces and any, any of these categories, I want to say it's about 10 or 12 categories, and you end up with about 60 to 70 submissions per category, and they're all for different things. We we were finalists this year for three awards, which were um, Best Hype Video for our South Park features, um, Best Music Video for one of our, we call it a re-entry video, but basically the videos we play before the team takes the ice for either the second or third period. And then we were also nominated for best opening video um, for the video we started the season with last year, which we call Gangster's Jungle. But it was that sort of riff on Gangster's Paradise and Welcome to the Jungle, where we introduced the Sharpie Cage. So even being a finalist for those three is a pretty special thing because all of those awards are voted on by your peers. And so you're essentially being voted on by your peers and your competition all at the same time. And so to rise to the top of that is pretty special. And um, I think you know, having, this was the first year there was a hype category. So we actually won for our South Park videos. You know, I think people were blown away. We, we thought it was funny just in the sense that it's like, we've been running these things for years. It's just the first time we've ever been able to enter them. And everybody thought it was the most amazing thing they've ever seen. How did we do this? And it's like, we've been doing it for, you know, a decade and a half in LA, but, but, uh, you know, they do produce really great work. And the South Park guys have always been so gracious in, you know, just making those features and, and working with us to create funny pieces and things like that. So that's what we actually won for. And I think the one that we're the most proud of is the being a finalist for that best opening video, because, you know, that for us was, it, it, it's the culmination of what we all work for, right? It's, it's that combination of video and lighting and sound to create an experience and to, to have that thing kind of rise to the top, because that's the other thing. It's tricky for those awards for people to vote on them, because a lot of it's visual based, right? So mm. it's hard to get the effect of being in Staples Center if all you can see is sort of a recorded version of, you know, you're not immersed in the lighting and the lasers and all that. So you don't get the full effect. So to have gotten to a finalist at that level, um, predominantly because of people seeing sort of that Sharpie cage and the effect, you know, it was a pretty big deal. So we were, we were really excited about that. Now I have to ask you about some other teams and I understand if you have to be diplomatic in your in your <laughs> answer. Um for starters the Ducks lampoon the the Eric Cartman videos in and they're just <laughs> awful. So I'm curious if you know if you think that uh what's the expression that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And then secondly the the show out in Vegas um I've <laughs> I've seen fans who are split on it. I've seen fans who love it and they say look this is Las Vegas they had to do something Vegasy. They had to make their stamp, you know, on the league. And then there's other people who fall maybe a little bit more into my category, which is it's just a little bit too much for me. <laughs> it's just, you know, <laughs> I am there to watch a hockey game. I'm not there to watch a Broadway 
show about um, Golden Knights. Any thoughts on on whether Vegas should uh, rein it in a bit or keep pushing and keep doing what they're doing? Yeah, sure. I mean, well, I'll touch on Anaheim first, right? Because that's mm-hmm. that's the first thing you mentioned. And I would say with them, you know, it's a look like we're we're friends with pretty much all of our counterparts, right? Sure. So it's definitely nothing personal. Um, sure. Imitation, greatest form of flattery. Sure. We'll take that. Right. <laughs> Ultimately, you know, we think it's fun, you know, cause it's, you know, it gives us the chance to retaliate or not retaliate at all, which is half the time what we choose to do. Cause it's like, why, why, you know, why we don't have to, we can <laughs> right. do our own show. Do that. Um, although on that note, what I will say about the, you know, the harpooning Cartman thing is that's one of the, um, I would say the, the luxuries we have of having the South Park guys who are, you know, willing to work with us and, and create a lot of custom content. So we saw that down in Anaheim, right? And and so, you know, I called Frank, the executive producer for South Park, and said, hey, you know, we kind of, we want another piece. Let me explain what I shot, what we saw in Anaheim, and we want to have an answer to it, but we want to use, obviously, the real deal, right? So it's kind of, and that's where the piece came from that we aired a couple games after that mm-hmm. in Staples Center, where it basically started by saying, hey, you know, Sarah Cartman saying, you know, hey, we hear there's an imposter down there in Anaheim, and they basically skewer a duck and kind of go a little over the top with it. But, you know, we have the ability to answer in real life with the real South Park, which is kind of different. So that's that. But Vegas, <laughs> let's, let's get into Vegas. Yes, um, <laughs> so the, I, I mean, what I will say is this, right? I immensely respect the group that, that's working out there, right? I, I know those folks pretty well, and they're they're very well regarded in our industry. You know, they're, they're friends of ours, and um, they're putting a lot into what they're doing out there, whether it's your cup of tea or not, right? It's from a from a pure, like, knowing the background of what we all do perspective, they're, they're doing some incredible things out there, and I, I definitely respect them for that. Now, in terms of the actual show itself, I, I'm I'm more in the boat of um, it's not my cup of tea. Um, it's not. I don't think it would work for most places. I think what I will say is it works for them, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's at the end of the day, that's what matters. It works for their fans in their building, and that's all that matters essentially. And I would say the other part that I would give them kudos for is regardless of whether you like the style of show they're putting on out there or not, they at least have gotten people talking about the show in arena and the importance of it. And that is important for all of us, no matter what market you're in. Um, So I think that it raises the bar in the sense that it's like, okay, yeah, you know, we're not all going to do the same show Vegas is doing. I think I'd probably lose my job pretty quickly (laughs) if I did that same show. (laughs) I don't think our fans are looking for that. Um, but what I would say is, is it challenges all, all of us to say, okay, well, what's unique about our market then and our venue and our fans and our vibe and how do we maximize that and take it to the next level um, and be innovative in our own space in a way that works for us. So I think that's the fallout of the Vegas thing. And, you know, it's, I take it as a good challenge, right? I think it helps us all raise our game a little bit. And I think, you know, hopefully Kings fans will see, some new stuff coming into the season that um, still feels like us, still feels like the Kings, but, um, you know, maybe it's a little bit different than what they've seen in the past few years. Although I can promise I'm not going to do a live Sword in the Stone bit out I've said it before, but I have to just say it again. When when the character pulls the sword from the stone out of, in, the, in the legend, he turns into a king. He doesn't... <laughs> 
it doesn't become a night. <laughs> right. whole, their whole pregame show makes no sense to me. Anyway, Brooklyn, I know you've got a ton of work to do to get ready for the season, so I'm going to let you go. But can we have you back on in later in the season to maybe give fans an idea of, of what a how much time it takes to prep for a specific game um, and to sort of walk us through the process of, of preparing it? Can we talk to you uh, maybe closer to the start of the season for, about that? Certainly. I'd love to be back anytime. And again, I appreciate you you taking the time and having me on. And, and I appreciate anybody listening who's actually interested. So thanks. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Brooklyn. Joining me now, Kings fan and voice actor extraordinaire, David Kay. How are you doing today, David? I'm good, Jesse. Great to hear from you. Um, I'm, I was getting a little, uh, you know, what, what's the what's the word? Um, um, impatient for the season to begin. Yeah. And, uh, you <laughs> reached out and went, hey, hockey season starting. So uh, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Uh, yeah, I was noticing uh, just a few days ago that for some reason, I, it changes every year, but for some reason, this is the week that the tidal wave of no hockey crashed on me. Um, I don't know why, I don't know what it is, but, but I'm looking at the calendar now and I'm counting down the days towards rookie camp. Um, yeah. So it's, just, it's just not you. It's, it's all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a phenomenal, like I said, I think it hits everybody in different ways at yeah. different times. There's no rhyme, no reason to it. But, uh, in the meantime, um, listen, the, the, your list of credits is, is, long and if anybody wants to to look it up uh, i would encourage them to uh you voiced almost every um character that any child of the 80s or 90s would care to remember uh what have you been up to this summer and, and what have you been doing with your non-hockey watching time uh well it's been uh it, it's it's been fun it's been a lot of busy there's a lot of cartoons coming out I, I get to sing in this new series called trolls and uh the animated series from based on the movie um I play King Peppy, and uh, they're actually having me sing, which is... Uh, <laughs> is this the first time you've ever sung uh, professionally before? <laughs> uh, well, not... Yeah, kind Yeah, kind of. You know, in, in a... In a when, when I have to actually, you know, look at music and, and do this stuff. It's been so much fun. Um, uh, they seem to be giving me more songs, so I pulled the wool over their eyes once again. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's been good. But Avengers is still going on. I'm now Vision. Uh, and then... Uh, also, uh, the main bad guy, um, uh, Zemo, and uh, it's it sort of loosely follows like the uh, the movies. And um, we're in the we're the beginning of that season where uh, Zemo makes his appearance with uh, Black Panther and stuff. It's really cool. Um, so yeah, there's a, and there's other stuff, and we're working. So last week tonight with John Oliver, that's a you know an ongoing thing and, and a lot of fun, and it's been busy uh, on the non uh, work front. My wife loves to watch a lot of tennis, and and I got hooked um, on on tennis. And we've been that's basically it's all it's been on. It's always on in the kitchen. It's always on in the the family room. There's always a tennis match on somehow somewhere, um, and just biting my fingernails before the uh, the drop of the puck. So, uh, and that's that's been about it. Tennis is a I mean it's a sport I grew up playing, and and a sport I grew up following but nowhere near as much as as hockey obviously i'm curious do you find the difference between a team sport and an individual sport like tennis do you do you find that you're the connect the emotional connection you you build following a a different team versus a specific player i'm always looking for the as we spoke about this before i think the underdog i'm always looking for the you know the uh, the wild card um 
watched the uh, the Canadian Open this past weekend, and the, the Tsitsipas from uh, from Greece was this kid out of nowhere, and he makes it to the final. And um, I, I again, I sort of equate that with our LA Kings, you know, uh, in 2012. Out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so I always looking for those stories, you know. Um, and any sport too, any any underdog sport. Those I, I, I love the story of sport. It, that's I think that's what makes it fantastic is those stories, like well, what the Capitals did this past year, you know. And and uh, I have to admit that I was rooting for the Caps. I wanted Obi to win a cup only because. If we had to suffer for 45 years, yeah. somebody else has to There's no way. Come on. One. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely it definitely didn't feel fair. Uh, not that fairness ever has anything no, to do with course, any of this. No. But. <laughs> but again, a, a great story. And the Caps, you know, and it, it's all it's all a story. And, of course, in our, our two cups here, we have great stories and records broken. And so you start to think of, well, who's – Who's the team or who's the player? What's going to be, you know, magic this year? And, you, and a lot of people are speculating, but you know, I I, I don't know what to think uh, about this season. Um, the Kovalchuk. How do you feel about the Kovalchuk? Uh, you, uh, you know what? I, I, it's evolving. My original impression, like my just the simplest, you know, take is it's fine, right? It's great. It'll yeah, either, it'll yeah. either work out or it won't. It didn't cost anything. Then my second tier of thought was, well, it is going to cost something because they're going to have to move somebody between now and next July because of the salary cap implications of bringing him in, right? Like, Dowdy gets a raise, uh, and then next year, Kempe and Ayafalo are going to be up for new contracts, and then at some point, Toffoli and Pearson's contracts begin to... So at some point... They're going to have to make changes that they wouldn't necessarily have to have made. If Kovalchuk comes in, so then I started looking at it as a, a trade, a sort of, um, I don't know what the word, like a delayed trade, right? Where we get, you know, we get our half of the trade for a year. Yeah. And then maybe mm-hmm. we'll find out what, what it's going to cost us in the future. And then just recently this week, I've begun thinking of it in terms of strict, and and I don't think people should necessarily look at every move like this but i've been thinking of it in strict points to dollars terms so if i follow has 25 points and cost you nine hundred and fifty thousand against your cap uh bringing in kovalchuk to fill that role isn't you know let's say kovalchuk scores 40 points and he costs six and a half million well you're not getting those 40 points for six and a half million you're getting however many points he he scored more than i follow for the difference yeah. in salary and so yeah. that's so that's where I start to sort of my nose starts to squinch up and I go like, okay, now we're talking about five million for an extra fifteen points. I don't, I don't know, but I mean, I'm hopeful. Obviously, I'm a you know, I'm an idiot. I'm a diehard Kings fan, so yeah, it's it's um, you know, the question is asked. You know, what, what do you think your chances again? Already, we're talking about the playoffs, and of course, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs are already playing their parade yeah. uh, <laughs> every year. <laughs> every year. Um, and, and then, you know, I think they'll get, they'll get further this year, but I, I, I don't, I don't know if this is enough when you think back at the core group and they do have a core group, but they're also, they got, there's miles on, on a lot of them now. And, uh, as much as I love Cliffy and I love the grinders that, that just, you know, I, there's not enough 
you know, goals and the speed it was is prevalent. And when I watch them play Nashville and I watch them play Las Vegas or, you know, the Winnipeg Jets with their speed and size, it's like you have to be fast now. They're in the system you have and you have to score. So where does that leave us? I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm hopeful. Um but again, if it is if there's one injury or something goes askew or there's a it's the West, the Western, you know, the, out here in the West, it's the difference between making the playoffs and not. And, and, and I, I, people have to remain healthy. That's really uh, key, I think, uh, with the players they have right now. They've got to remain healthy. But who knows? Yeah. You know, look, look, the Capitals sucked at the beginning of the year. You never know. You never know where people end up and know how people gel. But um, I, I don't know if Kovalchuk's enough. I think it's exciting and kind of cool. You need to see him play here. Yeah. Uh, but, uh- mm, I'm like, mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I was, res- I reserve the right to, to change my mind. And you just hope that he's exponentially right. That his impact is exponential, right? That his, his presence yeah. means that Kopitar has more space to operate. And then that means that the second line has more room to operate. And now, you know, your third line isn't just, you know, uh, a shutdown line, you know, and you hope that Velarde comes in and, and is good. Yeah. I want to backtrack really quickly, though, um, if I could, because I've had this conversation. We've had authors on. We've had a couple of people that write for DC Comics on. And I've talked to them about the notion of of these pop culture uh, properties that they are briefly handed, you know, custody of. And and the difference between that and, you know, being an athlete, like, for example, a guy like Kovalchuk comes in for three years. He's an L.A. king. you're in a in a similar position where you you are embodying these characters you are giving a voice to these characters but they're not you know the the characters existed before you were given that role and they will exist after you're done with it do you are you aware when you're when you're playing these roles of the fandom of of how it will impact you know the community of people that follow these properties the way that that we follow the kings Oh, um, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's a subculture, right? Like anything. Um, there's a subculture of fans who are you know, diehard hockey fans and subculture of fans who follow, you know, Star Wars and there's a, you know, like Transformers. And I've been involved with her. It's like 20 plus years now going on 25 years with the Transformers franchise in one way or another. Um, I, before, when that came out, we all, uh, I don't know if you remember the, the, the G1, that's her, uh, um, uh, Frank Welker was Megatron, and 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 Peter uh, Peter was uh, was was Optimus Prime in the in the very first iteration of Transformers. And then this Beast Wars happened, and I had I had not seen those cartoons before, so there was a lot of. Remember, I did my very first convention, fan convention in in Rochester, New York, uh, the home of the House of the Guitars, and the home of Kodak at the time. And 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 uh, there were people there that were quite that were a little bit, you know, off put that, uh, that what's this new Transformers franchise you're doing? You're ruining the rest of it. So, uh, but you know, there, there are people who uh, are replaced in roles and who will replace me in roles. But um, if you're part of the franchise, um, you're you will always be part of the franchise. Like if you, if you were in Star Trek once as a red shirt. You will always be remembered <laughs> for being the red shirt in Star Trek, and it's the Kings. Once you're, you know, once Gretzky got here, once uh, uh, those great years, they will always be associated, you know, to me with the LA Kings. It's the same idea. Um, 
some people get mad and get pissed off and they say, how, how dare you? But it, you're not exclusive. You know, time moves forward and things change. That's how it's just the normal thing that happens. Uh, and you just hope that pe- you do a good enough job when you're here or in the role that people remember you for it. So, um, yeah, as, as I think as a Kings player, you know, you come to a team, you want people, it's, you know, it's human nature. You want people to remember you, remember you for something. So whoever comes here wants to make an impact or whatever role that I'm cast in or one of my buddies is cast in, you want to make an impact. It's the same, it's the same thing, you know. Um, the, the weirdest thing for me in the fandom world is when we do these conventions and you sit and you do the autograph thing. And I know, you know, sports, uh, celebrities are very used to that. It's, it's a way, but I, I was like, what are they, what am I autograph for? For what? Oh, you know, it was to me, it's still kind of weird, but at the same time, it's a great way to thank the fans for supporting you. And, and, uh, because without the fans, we all know yeah. <laughs> there is none of this, yeah, exactly. none of any of it. It's not, yeah. Did I ask your question in a roundabout way? That's that's perfect. I'm just, I've become fascinated by it because obviously last year we had Alex Faust uh, replace Bob Miller, which is not, not unlike, you know, you replacing one of the the original actors from Transformers, right? It's not, we don't see Alex's face. I mean, maybe in between periods briefly, but, but Alex and Jim and Nick and Daryl, obviously we're, we're much more used to hearing their voice as part of the total experience. Yeah. Um, and then now this year they'll be hiring uh, a new in arena host. And yeah. again, it's just that, that notion of the franchise yeah. continues, even if the voices and the, and the names and the faces change. Sure. The familiarity of, of, of course, my father always said, uh, he, he, he would visit from Canada, he, you know, and of course that's where, you know, the DNA comes from as a, he would come down here and, and we watch a lot of the games together and we take, I take him to a lot of the games and he said to me, uh, I says, you know, this, uh, this Jim Fox and, uh, it's Bob Miller. That's like the best team I've heard in a long time anywhere. Really? Goes, oh yeah. These guys are good. He's got, so people are used to it, you know, uh, they're, they're legendary. They've been together for so long. It's, it's, um, you know, Alex, Alex is doing a, doing a great job and I have no trouble, uh, you know, with his, uh, with, with his play at all. It's just, you have to sort of forget. It's like when, you know, when I used to watch the Dodgers or listen to the Dodgers, of course, on the radio, you know, it's a great day for a ball game. Here we are, <laughs> Chavez Ravine. And I mean, I used to turn the Dodgers. I used to we had, used to live up in the hills of Burbank, and I could see Chavez, the lights of Chavez Ravine, and I would turn the radio on and listen to you know Vin Scully and see the lights at Dodger Stadium. It was this magical you know moment. And and when he's no longer the voice, you know, I, I can't go to a Dodger game now without myself talking to myself, you know, doing Vin Scully calling the play. I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the mound first pitch is a foul ball to left field I, it's just so it's a natural thing and uh la i think as fans of sports in this town we're very um i don't know if you agree with this or not we're, we're very uh, uh it's very personal you know don't yeah. mess with the don't mess with the thing it's good and working don't touch the thing and we get all bent out of shape but again it's what happens you know bob has to retire at some point and we all knew it was happening. It's just sad to see him go. But, um, you know, there are kids that are going to grow up uh, watching the Kings and listen to Alex Faust. You know, so it's a new generation. The the one that fascinates me is, and, and you're exactly right, and you made me think of it just now, is 
there are you know every now you'll see the occasional fan complain about the way the way Alex delivers the game or now they're Lakers fans complaining about LeBron James <laughs> coming to the Lakers and, and you just say like ah. it's it's uh it's showtime baby yeah. it's you know it's it's a show it's entertainment it's uh LeBron look I was not a big fan of, of LeBron but I, for, as soon as I found out he's coming to LA I went hey huh getting tickets for the game you're gonna go you're gonna see LeBron I mean we know and respect the man because he's an incredible basketball player and he's going to be part of our story now. Exactly. You know, how cool is that? Um, so yeah, that's just the nature of the beast. We're very, we're very uh, tight that way, you know, in this town. We, we, we don't want to monkey people monkeying around with things. <laughs> well, I've, I've always been fascinated by fans and I've, I was, uh, I was on Twitter the other day and somebody was complaining about uh, Voltron fans. And, and, and I, I just thought to myself, you know, I would never suggest that people shouldn't be fans because obviously I am a huge Kings fan and, and I now derive uh, my livelihood from Kings fans. But I just thought in 2018, really Voltron fans? I don't remember the last time I saw Voltron. I don't, I mean, the last time I really had a passionate opinion about Voltron, I must've been seven. Um, yeah, I I don't remember it too much, you know. But uh, you know, I know some of my friends are in, in in that series, and all I all I can think of is how come how come they haven't had me in yet? <laughs> well, what, you know, what's the matter with my voice? <laughs> gonna... <laughs> I'm sure uh, I'm sure Netflix will uh, will find a way to rectify that. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, one last question before I let you go: Have you seen any of the uh, NHL Network uh, player rankings? They've got Kopitar ranked as the sixth best center, and Dowdy is the second best defenseman. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do you pay attention to that sort of thing at all? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, I like to take uh, every. I guess every couple of weeks, I'll, I'll uh, go to the Kings app and I'll say, "Okay, what's going on?" Um, and uh, I, I do have NHL Network. I, I narrated a couple of projects for NHL Network this past year. Were, were very cool. Um, and um, so I'm watching for those on the network, and one's about the Joe Louis Arena, which you should see. It's uh, the history of the Joe, and yeah, uh, well, really, really cool. And uh, another one about the the Capitals' run to the Stanley Cup, and narrated the. Um, the there's a, 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 I think it might be on or uh, now. I'm not quite sure, um, but uh, I do see the the news and things happening. Uh, it's a lot of speculation, but I'm proud uh, that. You know, people are talking about Kopitar this early. I don't. Do you? I don't remember sort of this earliness in, in before the season starts. People talk necessarily about any of the LA Kings, but I mean, Dowdy is this high-profile player, and you know, a long-term deal. And uh, so that spotlight's going to be on. They're going to have to perform, you know, because now they're now that noticed, and, and Kopitar well deserves it. I mean, watching him play every every game, you know, people a lot of people don't get a chance to see the West Coast games, and of course, back east. Um, but he's just one of the, I think he's one of the best forever was, and it's about time that he was, you know, ranked and talked about and, and Dowdy's such a great defenseman. We got a great defensive uh, core and quick, quickie in that. I mean, there's a, those guys are great. Brown did outstanding this past year. Hopefully they can, he can keep that up. Um, you know, but they're talking about us and, uh, it's, it's kind of fun. Yeah. I said it last week, uh, you know, Obviously, as you've said, this is entertainment. This is this is a business. The league wants to promote its young, flashy offensive stars. The fact that they have Kopitar ranked so high 
I think is a sort of secret nod and a wink that he's actually should be ranked higher than he is. But but at some point uh-huh. they, they can't just put the the Selkie winner. Uh, yeah, they can't. Yeah. <laughs> they can't say like, well, he's really good. He's responsible in his own end. He's solid defensively. He kills penalties. And once yeah. every four years, he puts up huge numbers. So that's why he's the best. You know, they've got obviously yeah. McDavid and Crosby and those guys. They've got to rank the tops. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it should be a fun season. Well, I look forward to yeah, talking to you as it, as it rolls on. Yeah, you got it, man. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you, David. We'll talk to you soon. All right, go Kings. Go Kings.